This is Jan Cox, talk number 2596, recorded October 25th, 2000. I have, rotten, I have written stuff here in my hands. There is a beautiful symmetry to life that ordinary minds never appreciate. E.g., those who believe themselves sharp are dumb. The vain, pathetic, would be leaders, puddle loppers, and the loud mouth have nothing to say. A beautiful but unseen symmetry. And look not for where the symmetry blooms, for it blooms within thee. As long as men have spoken, they have believed there is a magic in words. With the ordinary, the magic is in words' ability to help coalesce the group and make the individual feel more a part thereof through their shared language and current empowering words and phrases. But with the few, the potential magic is antipodal. It is in their hearing just the right words that will cut them free from a confining sense of reality that is the result of a slavish nexus to the collective thought and talk of man. That's a lot better than it sounded. I'll get back to that in a minute. In spite of me having said that thoughts are not actual things, from one view, the characteristics of thought are such that they should not be considered organic either. They do more resemble things than something alive. One man says... The truly exciting thing to me about the future is that it is one of the few things that may be safely considered inevitable. And to me, that is somehow comforting. That there's at least... As distinguished from his friends, one man would never say, oh, I'm asleep, but instead would say, my attic is crowned to the rafters with stuff. Another way to spot an awakened man is by the fact that he does not take seriously any of the things that everyone else takes seriously, nor does he take seriously any of the things that they do not take seriously. And you might ask, so what does he take seriously? And right there is yet another identifying mark. No one knows. I didn't point it out in the writing, but you could also apply that in a singular fashion to your singular self. What is serious to me? Hey, geez, I got better things to think about than that. Should be your attitude toward the question that you ask yourself. Well, come on. What, if it really came down to it, just what is it I take seriously? Ignore those kind of questions the same you would someone trying to interview you or someone stopping you at the fair with a clipboard and a pen saying, may I ask you a question? Because I have told all of you, I know I've told somebody, I have told you how to handle that rather than just, you can't just walk away, just ignore them, I'm not doing interviews. But the other one is you grab them suddenly by the sleeves of the show and you go, oh, goody, goody, a contest, what's the prize, what's the prize? And they go, well, it's just a poll. We just wanted to ask you a question. You go, well, yeah, but what, what's the prize if I get the right answer? <laughs> and then if they do not have a ready response, which they won't, 
Begin to, if you can do such a thing, make your face gradually sort of come into a snarl. <laughs> and as far as they're concerned, that does finish your business with them. Back to the reading. Getting your hands on the secret, you discover it is one thing that repeated handling does not wear down. If other people are your problem, you're not close to awakening. If simply being alive is your problem, you're not close to awakening. If you are the problem, you're a little closer. <laughs> but not much. But notice immediately how many people laughed and responded like, well, thank God we're getting somewhere. <laughs> and I knew you were going to be embarrassed. You just didn't let me. Being the trained comedian that I am, I know about timing. So. Oh. <clears throat> Thoughts will often invent a persona for activity they dislike. For instance, from their dislike of uncontrollable drinking, they invent the demon of drink. And from their dislike of not existing, they invent you. <laughs> okay. The magic in words. Uh, by the way, I was speaking of words the other night, and I even wrote some about it in the Daily News. But anyway, I was speaking to you people about how, if you will notice, because I have always found this useful. Not just interesting, but as I told you, to me, interesting is useful. That what you hear words, someone, you listen to something or you even listen to your own consciousness talk. But let's say you're listening to someone else and what they say when they describe how it was the last time I was in Rome. I was out for a stroll past the Colosseum. And you see in your mind right in front of the Colosseum and I believe there's a circus there. You know, like traffic is always heavy. Several streets converge there, and you can see all the traffic. And you can look up at the what you consider to be the front there, the Colosseum, the ruins thereof. And you do all that while having never been there. But you do all of that, it just happens. It is just triggered by the words of there I was in Rome, right, right there in front of the Colosseum. You've been there. There's another one I've never tried to describe, and all of you people, it has got to be true with you, because even though I'm not a mind reader, and even though we're all stuck solely with only experiencing what's going on in our own brain, at least in this lifetime, I feel sorry for people that believe in successive lifetimes, but then you might come back as somebody else's brain's idea <laughs> of a you. I don't know about you. All these years, by the way, in quotation marks, but I find that somewhat disturbing. I don't mind dying. Well, I don't mind the idea of dying near as much as I do the possibility that I'm not really dead, and at some future time there's going to be another brain and another human, a different brain. And I know enough it's not going to be better or worse. That's not, Well, it could be worse. I know it's not going to be better. But here it is. What if you come back? Not as a cow, not as a worm. Forget all that shit. I know what will happen. I just know how things are. If there are successive lives, 
you come back as a human. I mean, there's no greater punishment from one view. From one view, but then again, there is no greater reward. I mean, what else is there? So, but anyway, what gives me the shudders, unpainted at that, but gives me the shudders to imagine in another human, in another life, after I'm good and dead, fought the good fight, ran the good race, as they say, which I never knew what it meant. It was just, I guess, trying to make losers feel better. <laughs> On your deathbed, when you never won a race, <laughs> and you never triumphed in a fight, at least on your deathbed, or are at the service the next day. The minister, somebody say, well, no, he may have been just an average Joe. You know, that is, you didn't amount to anything. But he may have been just an average fella. But as we all know, Hubert here ran the good race and fought the good fight. Which I, nobody ever stands up or says, you know, that's kind of insulting. Because all, all you mean is he never won a race and he never won a fight. That's the reason you say he ran the good race. Where was I? Anyway, I was saying I would dread the fact of coming back. Not being dead. And there's another human at another time. And their brain is putting out conscious thought. Did everybody like that one, whether you got it or not? You know, I was talking a few nights ago about how thoughts deal in personifications. But the real specific one, I didn't get around to saying, so I put it in a news story tonight. But you can see everywhere, when human thought personifies something, if you'll look at it in some way, it never fails. It will be something of which it disapproves. I could have been a bit broader. I didn't get off the subject. And sometimes in mythology... It'll be things that thoughts of, of which thoughts disapprove are which they do not comprehend. They do not understand. In other words, it's a, it's a disturbing or intriguing mystery. But it'll be one of those two things. When you find that the human mind has personified some activity, taken an activity and personified it, the demon of drink. Or the demon of debt. Oh Lord, free this poor man from the evil demonic spirit of debt. And being in debt is a process. It's an activity. It's something you do. And now this man, it's readily agreeable to hear that I didn't go in debt. I have been possessed by the demon. The devil of debt. Thought, my new story tonight, I, I left out the, well, to me it's the same thing. Surely you can see it yourself. I can make the same thing. But thought will often personify, put a persona on an activity of which it disapproves. And an obvious one is uncontrollable consumption of alcohol, being a drunk. Everyone's thoughts disapproves of it. Their liver disapproves of it. If you're an alcoholic, if you're a constant drinker, uh, your whole instinct, your physique, your somatic self disapproves of it. And so you know that. You know you're sick all the time. You know you're losing weight. And if you're an alcoholic, you would know all the symptoms. Of course, that's one of the benefits, i got to point out, of if you're going to be a little alcoholic, it's go all the way. Because if you push forward enough, your brain gets to be such that you ignore the symptoms. So that's the problem of being halfway anything. 
being a halfway sinner. Because if you're just a halfway drunk, you, just, you drink a while and then you stop a while. Like you drink a while until your liver, you know, it's giving you serious problems, whatever it does. And you think, well, I'll cut, you know, this is enough. And so you stop. But see, if you just press on, you will finally get to the point that, as they say, your, your brain is so rum-soaked. All you got to do is just go a little bit further and you'll get to the point that you can just be walking death, that all your friends and everybody around you are just strangers on the street look at you and think, sir, you're about dead. And if they had any experience, they'd probably go, it's alcohol, I can tell. But see, if you've gone far enough, you think, well, you people are crazy. Nothing wrong with me. They're me, they're just a helpful hint. <laughs> see, it doesn't, it doesn't do to be half nuts, half moronic. <laughs> if you get dumb enough to where you don't know you're dumb, or sleep enough, as I said, but with us, it's too late. If you could be fast asleep, good and fast, there's got to be a point. Well, I know there is. Most people are born there. They are to it naturally born. But if you are fast asleep enough, then you have no idea that you're asleep. Where were we? My news story. Thoughts will often put a persona, will invent a persona for an activity of which they disapprove. And a man's thoughts, unless he's got the point, as I said, that his brain is really beset with alcohol. But if just a man is drinking too much, and, you know, whatever's too much, it's interfering with his life, interfering with his health. His thoughts will disapprove of it. No one's thoughts. Until you get to the point that I was making the joke, until your thoughts are so deranged from alcohol that your brain's not really working. But at any rate... Just a, a guy who's just started out drinking too much, been going a while, his thoughts do disapprove of it. That's why people are so touchy about it. As well, no, if you tell somebody, you know, hey, I hate to tell you this, but I'm a friend, I'm just telling you, you've been drinking too much lately. If you've never seen that, if it's the point I'm talking about, that the man's brain is not really being, had long-term effects, they will be very defensive for the very reason that their own thoughts disapprove of it. To they go, I'm not drinking too much, or mind your own business. I know what I'm doing. I know. Alcohol is just one, many other things. But back to my news story. I said that very often thoughts will put a persona, invent a persona for an activity which they, of which they disapprove, such as drinking. Someone is drinking too much, been exposed to it, whatever, but due to thinkings, to thoughts, disapproval of uncontrollable drinking, human thought has invented quote, the demon of drink the evil spirit, but you know what I mean religious people that deal in this they actually mean it there's a comma after that, the demon of drink and due to thoughts dislike of them not existing, they invented quote, you That is, I gotta admit, even for me, that's a good one. I don't mean just the way I wrote it, but to be able to observe it in such a way that I thought some of you would find it useful. But there is a way in which that is not a fable that thoughts have, in a sense, invented us, that is, each of us, the sense of you. They're solely responsible. Without thought, there is no you. Without thought, you have no sense of you. Don't worry about an objective uh, 
measurement or decision whether you exist. To you, there would be no you. Because there is no you unless you think there's you. I mean, you could be laying there in a sweet potato coma. And I guess people walking by, you know, doctors or somebody who go and speak about you like a you, like, doesn't he have a a non-aggressive personality? (laughs) Doesn't he have a very calm persona? I don't know. Anyway, they could attribute a you to you. They could look down at your chart and I assume you had a name when you came in there. You know? 32 medium or whatever it was in your well, I assume some of you got it That's, they're looking for some form of identification that's what they come up with as well he's a medium and I believe he must be I don't go any further they're the, they're the, they're the things that I guess they could decide about you once they'd stripped you if you were a male they could probably narrow down your religious or cultural background or somewhat but consider what I'm saying the thoughts I assume you got the first part that you can't deny that that fits for me to say that thoughts pick out something that that they disapprove of like being in debt to the point that it's, it's affecting your life adversely that you've gone so far in debt and then someone's thoughts some jack leg preacher somewhere says, well, what's happened is the, the demonic spirit, the demon of debt, very common nowadays. It's a sign of the last times. You realize that Jews and Christians and Zoroastrians, they have, they've ridden that damn nag now for 4,000 years. That anything you want to pick on, well, anything you want to pick on, you go, there is a sign of the final days. We've about had it. I can just hear a Zoroastrian priest going, I come by some of the temples and the fire is out. When I grew up, we would have died before we'd let the fire go out in the temple. I say, it says right here, as our great founder said in book 4, you know, 17, chapter so-and-so, right here it says, in the final days, those who should be alert will sleep on guard. And the vendors still say, there it is. That's exactly what he meant. Which I just made that up, but it sounds like to me he was talking about trying to wake up. But at any rate, it's always the final days. At any rate, thoughts pick out something they do not like. They're confronted, not pick out, but they're confronted with something. And I'm sure, as it always does, it started within one human that they were, the human salts was trying, was dealing with activity that the total person was engaged in that thoughts disapproved of. And obviously, if it came about through some man, Adam's son, or Adam took up drinking, then the thoughts obviously could not deal with it. When I said uncontrollable thinking, uh, uncontrollable drinking, what it means is from the thoughts view, they could not stop the person from drinking. That they could not have enough effect. They could not warn the person they kept drinking. And thoughts at least still had enough sobriety about them to realize we that is us this whole organism shouldn't be doing this i'm suffering too i may be the last to get it conscious thought that area of the brain but we're all suffering so in disapproving of it and evidently this human that i'm in this piece of machinery this one entity cannot handle it and it's out of his control and so maybe if i 
personalize it. If I turn it into persona as though it is something, an outside enemy, some kind of evil force or something that's attacked him, like an illness, a virus has come upon him. Of course, from that you can hear now it took 4,000 years, but alcoholism now is a disease. Drunkenness. Being a drunkard is no longer a weakness, it's a disease. But at any rate, it's all the same thing, that thoughts will invent a persona for something that it cannot handle, does not understand, and, uh, and, and are, of which it disapproves. And so it turned uncontrollable drinking, uncontrollable debt, into the demon of drink, the demon of debt. But then, I assume you can see that, and it's no stretch. I don't find that all that allegorical. But then, to me, what it really, in a singular way, does not like is the fact that we're talking about thoughts, that there's nothing there, that there's nothing to them. Or to put it crudely, which doesn't seem to work, but it's, I understand it, they don't exist. And so, I mean, how much, think what you, what would, if we were going to try to make a list, and you try to imagine, what would be the things that I would dislike most if they were true? Would not existing be probably at the top of the list? You never thought about it. That's why people fear death. Because you don't really fear death because you don't know what it is. You can't say, oh, it'll hurt to be dead. You don't know that. Or it'll be inconvenient to be dead. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I just thought, contraire. You'd never be laid anywhere. You'd always be dressed. <laughs> it would never cost more than you had on you. But anyway, people don't fear death because you don't know what it is. What do you fear? If you never thought about it this way, I'll speak for you. Tell me I'm wrong. What is scary? And that's not even the word because there's nothing to compare it to. But what is upsetting is trying to think of the fact of me not existing. People do not find that pleasant. I don't know anybody ever sit around. I used to try and talk to people and try to get people to sit down and hold that notion. And I never did get any favorable response. <laughs> that was one of the earliest ones. I thought, well, I'm on to something. This is better than... Well, it was. It was better than dope and booze. It's to sit there. I assume you can do it. Everybody can do it. And you think about being dead. You know, get past the stuff about suffering and, you know, what horrible disease. Get past all that shit. Just think, all right, I'm dead. Everybody dies, I'm going to be dead. And then try and think, you know, I don't know how to put it, but to me, it's like, okay, what? Like, all right, I'm dead. Now, to me, what? You know? Like, all right, now what will I, I think about now? Just what? And it would really give me something. The tingles. And now I realize early on, well, that's why everybody hollers their spirit death. That's why it is that they just think for a second. And I have heard other people, just ordinary people, somewhere mention it in their writing or in literature somewhere of how strange it is to conceive the day, knowing that you will die and to conceive or try to conceive of the day that you won't exist. And somebody say, of course, that seems impossible and they'll go on and forget it. But I encourage people, I would sit there and try to hold it. It was like sort of sticking your finger, maybe not in a socket, but having a wire that was a bit frayed. 
Maybe, maybe out in an outside and you're staying out in the grass. And you can hold it. And it doesn't knock you down, but you don't really want to hold it a long time. You, know? <laughs> you can hold it in your hand and just to show off for a second, you can hold it maybe for a second. Whereas if somebody didn't expect it and you say, hand me that wire over there. I need to, and as soon as they hit, they go, ow! And then to show off, maybe you can, since you know it, you can hold it because it's not deadly and it won't knock you down. But it's just not the kind of thing that you would normally think, well, I'll be off standing here and hold this a while for fun. <laughs> but to me, that's what it, that's what it was. Was to be able, to, anyway, to sit there and to say, alright, I'm dead. I mean, I gotta be dead. Everybody, everybody at one time or other is dead. So they will come, I'm dead. And I go, okay. And then to me, it was like, alright, now. And now, don't have to explain it. Don't have to. That's a real. How about a challenge? And it does something. It's the very kind of thing that I say from my experience, which is all I've got to go on, of me pushing on and on and just doing the impossible. I like when I came up with a couple of weeks ago, and obviously a bunch of you liked it. When I said it, finally struck me that maybe what I've done is just irritate myself into <laughs> greater states of awareness. They just kept on and on and on. Well, you can't do that. I mean, that's, I mean, what else is it to understand? I don't know, but why stop now? To try and just consider, if you can find your own way to do it, just part. If I was not here and your brain's trying to think about what would be not to exist. But another level, if you can look at this subtly for yourself, it's your thoughts at the moment thinking, how could I think if I wasn't here to think? But I also say, the reason I got off on that, is that in one quite valid sense, thoughts, because they're obviously not dead, but they don't exist. They do not exist. And there are other invisible things that, that, that do exist. You can measure speech. Speech physically exists. You can't see it. Smells physically exist. You can measure them. But there's one thing known to humans that all humans agree exist, and that's thoughts. In fact, humans, if they ask and serve a second, I'm sure would agree that thoughts are probably of paramount significance in our lives. And yet, by any standard we know, by any possible standard, they do not exist. They cannot be measured now, I know they can measure the activity of the brain, but they still cannot definitively say that that's a thought. Yeah, at any rate, I assume that you know what I'm saying. It has a pragmatic use. It did for me that thoughts do not exist. You can't argue that fact. You can't talk people into it. And I guess if I tried, I could, do, I could prove otherwise verbally. But I'm telling you, for useful, practical use... The way I looked at it, and still see it that way, is they do not exist. Which makes it even more interesting, because here I am dealing with them at this second. That is, it's thoughts, in a sense, responsible for what I'm saying. of staying here denouncing them, denying their existence. And so obviously something is fishy, to put it mildly. That obviously it can't... Well, apparently. Well, obviously, it can't be literally true, me saying, by God, they don't exist. Because you're sitting there and you're listening to it and thinking about my statement. And by you thinking about it, 
seems to be some sort of proof that, well, some thoughts exist, at least one thought exists in one person in me. Because right now I'm thinking about what you said. I'm weighing the possibilities. But I'm telling you, they don't exist. Compared to, measured by any other standard of which we have knowledge, they simply do not exist. What else would be more annoying than to be something, and to be something that's at the center of a whole world, a whole sense of reality, and then look down and find out that you don't exist? What could you dislike more, possibly dislike more than that? And so I say, because I'm being funny now, I was going to say out of spite. Well, I don't know, it could have been. But at any rate, I just say they dislike so much not existing. And they'd already had experience. They already knew how to invent a persona and stick it on something that they didn't like, an activity. To where it was an activity, a process, an event of which they disapproved, they found out they could stick a persona on it, turn the activity, uncontrolled drinking, excessive drinking, into the demon of drink. And I didn't go into how, but obviously, human minds find that profitable. They find it useful, or they would not do it. So I'm not going to bother to go into what, how that, why I thought finds that agreeable, but they do it, thoughts do it, to things of which they disapprove, activity. I say that in that same sense, if there's anything that you would expect thoughts, or as I said, anything, including us, to be unlikable, or anything that they would dislike, that you would dislike, is to realize that you do not exist. And so how did they react to that? And plus, they couldn't do anything about it in the same way they evidently couldn't do anything about this one guy's excessive drinking. They couldn't stop him. If they could have stopped him, then at least he wouldn't have been the guy's mind who invented the persona of the demon of drink. So they weren't successful. So I say in the same sense that in everybody's head, as it's turned out, thought has not been successful some way in, in curing this activity that they don't like. The activity in this case being their non-existence, which I see as an activity. And so in response thereto, instead of inventing the demon of non-existence or the demon of existence, they simply invented, quote, you and everybody. I can see it. I can almost feel it. That under mundane conditions, I am a persona invented by my thoughts in reaction to the fact of them realizing they don't exist. Does anybody see how clever it's been? They've now shifted it, the onus to us. They've invented us, and now we feel like it's our responsibility. <laughs> They don't exist. Let me see if I got this straight now. <laughs> Work with me. <laughs> Let me see. If, the way, if I understand what you're saying, all you guys, you're saying that there's this activity that compared to every other activity, 
compared to everything that we know, individually and collectively, compared to everything we know and have experienced, then there's these things, this activity, that does not physically exist. Let me see if I'm following you correctly. You're saying that that thing that doesn't exist then picks out things of which that it dislikes. And we've gotten down to the point that one of the things it dislikes is the fact that it doesn't exist. And in some way that we can see in other areas, one of the, the reactions it has, one of the notable, observable reactions it has is to take an activity that it doesn't like. In this case, it's non-existence, it's not existing. And invents a persona. And the persona is us. When you say I, that is the persona that thoughts have invented. So let me see if I got this straight now. You're saying that a thing that doesn't exist in retaliation or in reaction in response to its disliking, it not existing, it invented us. And now us, each of us, is all tied up in the fact and the results, the ramifications by God... And we're trying to deal with these ramifications as though they're really something. Putting from beginning to end, the whole thing. Well, not from beginning to end. The end of it, it turns out, is an imagination that was conjured up by something that was illusionary. Have I got that straight? Is that what you're, t is that what you're telling me? If so, I feel a great sense of relief. I wanted to do the magical words is where I started. <coughs> I've, I've laid a couple of little hints on you. Uh, you know, I continue, just to myself, since you can continue to handle the secret and it never wear out. It doesn't wear down. I don't get fingerprints on it. You can trust me. You can't overdo it. You can't misuse it. Once you know what it is, you can take it out and play with it and you can roll it around the dirt. You can toss it up in the air. It does not chip, it does not break, it does not get any smaller, it doesn't get duller. Like just the opposite of anything, handling it makes it brighter. But as anyway, I was saying, I continually, to myself, change the way I think about, to myself, the, the nomenclature. What happened to Norman? And, you know, I went from consciousness, whether you noticed, uh, I spoke up for years, to thought. Well, I went to mind first, now I went to thought. And I've been threatening, I've done it before, but uh, I very often now, again, substitute in my head words for thought. The reality of it never changes. But the thing is, if you keep yourself off balance, if you keep handling it, you never do yourself harm. Once you've got far enough, well, you people far enough, you can't. There's no way you can do yourself any harm. It's only a real rank amateur would go, well, wait a minute, I just barely understand what it means to be asleep in consciousness, and now you want me to muck around and change it, you know, I'll lose my place. <laughs> you know, I'll go backwards. I'll lose what understanding I have now. That's true. I can hear people saying that right now. And if they did, I, I would want more than anything in the world was to, you know, give them a little hug and then real quick just slap the piss out of them and say, listen to what you just said. Wasn't doing good. How can you, well, wait a minute, if I don't watch, 
what I'm calling things. If I, don't, if I don't protect the knowledge I have now, I mean protect it. Now, I understand this. I'm not being funny. I can remember it. But if I don't protect, if I don't treat with a certain amount of reverence, what hard-earned little, what little understanding I have now, I could lose it. Hug, slap, hug, slap, hug, slap. <laughs> I guess that's... Again, I can point out, if you keep pushing on far enough, that's one of the other positive attributes I can say that it's nice to get to the point that you can't lose anything. Maybe that's real progress. I could have a mini-stroke now and not lose any of my wisdom. That wasn't, that wasn't true a few years ago. I guess I could have a serious stroke. Maybe I could have a stroke so bad I couldn't talk or look at you straight. But at least those of you who are now as at least awake as you should be, you could at least come by my bed and stand and look down at me and have the awareness that I don't understand any less than I did before the stroke. While other people go, what a shame. He had such a sharp mind. Such a pocket knot with wit. Well, if you live in an apartment, some people can't, they don't have room for a rapier with, so you have a pocket knot. Since nobody was going to put it together for your damn self, make me have to dumb down my own. But at any rate, you, can, you know how it is over standing around a bed, somebody has a stroke, they go, he, he had such a lively mind. You know, now he looks like Curly, you know, after a bad drunk, you know. But at least you people could stand there, and of course you wouldn't say anything, but to yourself, you'd think contrary. I was proud to have known him because he had finally reached the point that now he's had a stroke and can't talk, and as far as we know, he's just mentally gone. At least he reached the point that he has now not lost one wit, one molecule, of his wisdom. I'm glad I thought, I feel comforted. In case I ever have a stroke, now I feel better. I was going to suggest that you use words instead of thought. But what I was going to find specifically tonight, there's always been a sense of magic in words, that men have always believed it. And even though I've talked about it before, I've never put it to you specifically like this. And I... I recommend it. There, without any doubt, you do not have to think about it. You don't have to be a philosopher. Uh, you can simply observe it for yourself. Everybody believes that there is magic in words. They don't use that term. And I point out to you that the beginning of every holy book, every considered sacred writ, every story of which I'm aware, of every culture, every era, Every creation story starts out with the creative force, the God, the force. It's always something to do. Uh, the Old Testament version is just kind of a wrap-up. And Islam picked it up, but that was about a wrap-up that the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. That the Word was it because of what it represents. Because it's synonymous with consciousness, with thought. And so in that sense, there's a magic in words. In the Old Testament story... Of my translation of it, or one of them, is again that Adam found it magic that somebody said called his name, said, hey, you. He'd been there by himself all this time. 
And so he'd been there by himself. You can also look at it this way. Himself, that is, inside his brain, had always been there by itself. And now suddenly a voice says, Hello. It's magic. Call it God. It's supernatural. It is the very definition of magic. People who are not religious, even today, people consider magic words. <laughs> From the positive to the negative. Somebody can call somebody else a motherfucker, they're about to die. There's magic. In this case, bad magic. Negative mojo. People attribute, all humans do. I assume you got the point, it's not, but they attribute. Somebody can be out of a football game, a baseball game, and holler out the wrong team. You be seen on the wrong side of the field and holler, yay, Steelers. People get stabbed. There's serious injuries at every, every Sunday, somewhere in the United States. And in Europe, it's even a bigger story from what I hear of the soccer matches. But you simply got on the wrong colored jersey. Well, I was using words. You simply speak a good word for the wrong team. You cheer out Steelers instead of Jets. And then somebody pushes you down the stairs. Somebody stabs you. But there is a particular way I was going to point out that there is a magic. And it's used in exactly the wrong way as far as I'm concerned. As far as I say is that you be concerned with you. And that is, there is magic in words in the sense that they're used by the ordinary, by the herd of humanity. And that is that words bind people as a group. It is the gluons of the common consciousness of man. Uh, I don't know what you've thought about it in this way, but language is very strong with people. And if language wouldn't do it, then other things would sprang up. Religion, as I guess was the earliest. Well, family's always been the earliest, but then it was probably religion, and then later came nationality. But somewhere in there was language. Once the language, uh, especially once it got written, it became an identifying cohesive element, a very important element to people when they shared a language. That even if they never seen each other before, even if they lived on different sides of a valley, even if they didn't even know where the other person came from, they never maybe even looked different. He was darker or lighter or taller. And these two people met. And if it turned out that one of them finally said something and their language was similar enough, first thing you know, they're not, at least at the moment, they're not enemies. They'll probably embrace, their face will light up. That one of them can talk in such a language that at least they can communicate somewhat, if not perfectly. That their language is similar enough, they will suddenly, with no other reason, as I said, they may physically look dissimilar in color and stature and be absolute strangers. And yet, if they have language in common, at least at the moment, the tendency would be to embrace, to accept each other's friend. Not, but not just on this kind of tribal and localized basis. I say that all humanity words help coalesce. The herd of humanity, of everyone, and not just in the instinctive sense of running as a pack, of man being a pack animal, but up at the level, you remember my floating cloud around the planet, but at the level that we as humans run in a mental pack, 
I threw in, but I use it as an adjective, whether you got the purpose, when I said that uh, with ordinary people, the magic words, one of the primary ways that they see magic is in the way it helps coalesce a group. And it does so in common language, and I said shared language, and also in the empowering current words and phrases. It's my own little, well, you got it, since empowering right now is one of the current words and phrases. If you've ever thought about it, and it's easy to make fun of it, and it's done, I'm not the only person ever pointed out, or people ridicule it, making fun of hip phrases, that empowered has had a fair lifetime now. God knows what it means. We know what people think it means and what they intend it to mean. And most of the time now, once a, a cliche has become is somewhere between being a hip end phrase, a new phrase, and being a cliche, somewhere right there in between the two, you have people using it who really have no idea what it means. They simply use it because of the fact, even though they're behind the times, that they, to them, it sounds hip. And it's been around enough that they figure now, not that they analyze it, but I know what's going on, that they can say empower, and if you stopped them in the middle of a sentence, and you went, I've heard that word, and you, what you're talking about interests me, but pardon me, would you define empower? I'm still a little unclear. They would hate your guts. And yet they have heard it enough, you, you surely know what I mean, they have just heard it enough, and they have mechanically, their ear of consciousness, their hearing part of consciousness, has picked up, and they, they just, they've heard enough terms about well, if we vote such and such bill, if you elect me, you know, we can empower the people. Or if you contribute to my campaign, we'll empower the people. If you give enough here of money to my church, we'll start empowering the neighborhood. And they've just heard that around, 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 and they'll throw it in a sentence. And it would be easy enough, and it's done by ordinary people, to ridicule it and say, boy, hip terms. It just, it's a cover for illiteracy. It's a camouflage for people who cannot independently think. And so whatever the hip word is, they will latch on to it in a minute, and they believe it makes them look intelligent, whereas to us intelligent people, it does just the contrary. It just shows them up to be rustic illiterates, linguistic boobs, cows, following a herd and not even understanding what it might, might, might. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I say that that is a, like an added inducement that's a little bit maybe a steroid shot inside of shared language is to have this feeling of shared sort of insider terminology, the latest hip terminology, even if you're behind the times, even if it's no longer hip to the real hip crowd. <clears throat> but the reason those things linger around and that they keep going on even after the day, as I said, of them being hip, that they're now in the cliche and there's still people who will say them and their face light up as though, am I hip or not? And you think, well, how can you still believe that? You don't have the right idea. It is still acting as a sort of a booster glue to hold some herd together. Some country, some nation. It can be just the person's vague sense. I didn't get into that a while ago, by the way. I was going to talk about words of something other than seeing films. And you got me off the subject. Mm. Now you got me off this subject. You can see the magic of words is to hold people together. It holds people together at a very small group. It'll hold them together. You walk in a little storefront church, 12 or 15 people, and a guy's preaching some religion you never heard. The words that he's saying, and if you could sit down and maybe you ask the person, you go, 
is this a Baptist church? And they go, no. Nah. They, they say some name you don't know, and you say, I never heard of that. You know, I'm not sure I understand. They go, well, listen. You go, and you say, well, yeah, you make sense to you? And you go, yeah, we've, you know, he's been our minister here for a year. We know what he's saying. And you look around, and to you it could be gibberish. But it's holding these 12 people together. They're all saying, they're going, yeah, 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 yeah. That they are, as far as they're concerned, speaking, they're sharing a common language. Then you can see it, of course, obviously, in a, a whole culture and a whole nation, if it has a primary language. But anyway, you can see words holding people together, and it's magic. It will hold people together, when I say magic, under conditions whereas normally they may have not been held together, such as strangers, my example I made up, meeting who do not look alike. But just being strangers, if you're out in the barely civilized uh, wild somewhere, and two people met who had never seen each other, and they don't even look similar, their response would be, their animalistic response would be very defensive, if not aggressive, to drive the other one away. It would not be friendly until if one of them says, damn, what the hell's, where'd he come from? No one understood part of it and goes, wait, can you speak? Everything would change. There is the magic. It acts as a binding agent. Have you ever looked at this way? Wanting to awaken? What we're looking for is matching words that act as a solvent, not as a glue. <laughs> That'd be a fact. Because you're not necessarily trying to become antisocial. You're not necessarily trying to strip yourself from the social herd. But what you're doing, well, the whole idea of attempting to awaken, the longing for this other thing, this other state of consciousness, this enlightenment, this liberation. What you're longing for is to be released from this confining nexus, this natural connection that you have got already with the collective mind of man, the collective speech of man, which is the same thing as the collective mind of man. Wanting to awaken, you're wanting anything but words that are magical in their reinforcement of your connection. What you're really looking for, that's the idea of there being secret knowledge, the secret book. And nobody knows what it is. And they don't know how to describe it. Those that are still looking for it or dreaming of it. And you go, well, what do you think it is? And they'll say, well, it tells you what the secret of life is. Well, yeah, I mean, we're being redundant. What do you think it... They, well, obviously you don't know what the secret of life is, but what do you... What area do you think it is? I mean, what's it going to say that life, is the secret going to be like, that says life actually is 24 billion light years long and 16 and a half billion light years wide. And it weighs approximately 40 trillion billion tons. Is that going to be the secret of life? Or is it going to say life is actually only 86 years old. I mean, what's going to be the secret? Nobody ever thinks about that. I do. Or I did. Well, I do. I did. I do. What would be the secret? Words cannot give the secret because I say that the secret has to do with stripping away the power of words. And so there's no way that words can say what the secret is. 
if you can get a glimpse of what I, in this short period that I finally got around to it, I'm trying to point out, you understand the difficulty, well, the apparent difficulty, the elusiveness of what trying to wake up is. Well, once you get into it, if you just stay an amateur, it's never elusive. It's all quite plain. It says, whatever system you adopt, it says, if you would only, if you, if you could self-remember, if you could self-observe, if you could be mindful 24-7, you would be enlightened. If you could remember yourself without fail, constantly, then you would eventually, you would soon wake up. I mean, how much clearer can it be? There's nothing elusive about that. If you will simply study the scriptures of so-and-so, if you will follow the directions of our great founder, Swami so-and-so, and if you can live by these, absolutely, by these 112 rules or whatever it is, you will be enlightened. And if you adopt that, then me saying, well, this, this is elusive or it's vague, is ridiculous. They say, well, that's because you didn't pick out the right system. They would say that I'm still wandering about. Come over here and join us. We know what to do. Come over here. And at least you'll find out the, the rules and the ways to awaken. At least you won't be saying it's vague because we know what to do. We just, it's hard to do. It's a challenge. But we, at least we know what to do. Nobody knows what to do. If you know what to do, it's a sure sign you don't know what to do. Because you believe there's magic in words. And what I'm telling you is not the magic in words is really the magic to blind you. That's not the way it seems. But it's the magic to make you think more or less in concert with the rest of humanity. Uh, I still get a very strong sensation that as many times recently as I've tried to bring this up, that it's still not clear to most of you. You're not looking at yourself. Everybody on this planet, we know it changes a little. We know from culture to culture and language to language, they try to sometimes translate ideas and attitudes. And it seems that there are some groups of people that they're, they're what they think in a certain sense is somewhat removed, somewhat different from where you are. But I'm telling you, if you look at it, people all over the planet are thinking as though they're part of one great brain, one gigantic brain, not great in a sense. That was not a, quali that was not a qualitative <laughs> judgment. It was a quantitative. That the thing is, what could be further removed from, from one view in the secondary world than those who believe in God and those who don't? What, what could be a greater distinction than atheists and believers? There's no distinction. Once you see it, to think, well, there could not be a more, there could not be a more distinct, a more obvious, a more salient division of humanity in the secondary sense. We're forgetting stuff about race and gender and nationality. In, in the physical stuff, in the secondary world, there could be no greater division, no greater difference. They're on the other sides of the secondary universe. Those who believe in an almighty, all-powerful God, a creator, a God, and those who say there is no God. I mean, there it is. There are the two extremes. That's not two of anything. That's not an extreme of anything. They're both in the same herd. They're both staying on the same playing field. One of them hollering, let's run this way, and no one go, let's run this way. It's nothing. That is the common mind of man. There's nothing wrong with it. Obviously, life wants it that way. 
It wouldn't be that way. It'd be some other way. But there is one that's been going on now that we know about for several thousand years and that people still say is very important whether you believe in God or don't believe in God. And it's the same thing. You're talking about the same thing. You're talking about something that doesn't exist. It doesn't matter whether you believe in it or don't believe in it. You're talking about something that's a mind made up to start with. The point is, the magic of words is that it holds everybody in a sense. It holds humanity together in the secondary world. Even when they apparently are at odds, such as, well, this group over here believes in God and this group believes in Allah. And then there's this other group that believes in nobody. Yeah, but don't you see? They all believe in thought. They all believe in bullshit. They all accept ghosts and shadows as reality. Their thoughts have invented a reality that they accept. Of course, their thoughts invented them. So I don't know how you think that them are not going to accept the rest of its invention. If thoughts, out of spite of not, out of their dislike for not existing since they invented you, then I don't know how you thought that. You know, after that, it's a done deal. Nobody gets it. We're well, back to the ventriloquist. Yeah. But see, it's not just the ventriloquist and the dummy. He whittled you. That is, the thoughts whittled you. They made you. It's not like there's some choice or some amount of freedom like, well, I'll outsmart them. <laughs> what to begin with? You can't outsmart them. There's no one home. But they're the ones making you say that, and you go, well, I'll finally catch on. To what? Oh, I'll catch on. That's what I call thought busy work. That's thoughts just absolutely desperate. And since thoughts can't drink and probably don't want to, that's just, and that's chasing your own tail. A dog would finally get tired or get so dizzy it'd fall over and rest a while. But for thoughts... To think, well, I've about got a handle on this. <laughs> on what? Well, you know. And I'll be a bit more specific. Well, I just can't talk to you. You're too crude. <laughs> the thoughts are to hold things together. The thoughts are to hold an individual man to the herd. Remember, I'm not talking about the physical herd and the social herd. But it's to hold your mind, even if you're denying if you're living in the midst of religious people and in your mind, you go, I'm surrounded by idiots. There is no God. I don't know what's wrong. I'm surrounded by dunderheads, by fools. Somebody should come by and pat your little cow head. But don't you understand? You're just as much a part of the herd as anybody else. Good little cow. Just because you, quote, disagree with the rest of the herd, maybe you are the one holdout. But it doesn't matter, don't you see? You can say, well, here I am back on the rump of the herd. It's a good thing that at least there's one of us back here with some intelligence. That's, that's fine, but notice this. You said, it's a good thing there's at least one of us back here with some intelligence. As long as you're back here, or as long as you're in here, you can say, well, I may be surrounded by a bunch of idiots. My whole tribe here, my whole nation is nothing but idiots, morons, fools. I'm just one man, but at least it's good. It's good that there's one honest, intelligent man here amidst this insanity. All of that's good. 
you wasted your breath. All you had to go, all you had to do was identify that you're there. That's all I need to hear. That's all life wanted to hear is, oh, you're there. Yes, but at least I realize what's in life just quits listening. When you're saying, yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm stuck. I don't know why I got stuck here. I was born here. But at least I want you to know that I see the folly of what everybody is doing. As soon as your hand went up and life looked down and realized you were there, you know, life looked off. Trust me. All it wanted to know that you're in your place. And look upon you being life and look upon your brain. All it has to do is to see that there can be some cells down there bubbling around and thinking they're raising hell. But the brain looks down at itself and all the cells are in place. Cells don't have feet. Remember, that's just those drawings in that Time Life book. They don't have little thick legs and feet. Cells do not walk out of some organ. You don't ever look down at your skin. Even in some one cell, get up and go, Jeez, I've had it. Yeah. I'm out of here. Cells are stuck where they are. Thoughts are stuck where they are. We are stuck where we are. And part of the magic of words is to make people believe that they should be stuck where they are. It's to keep all the minds working in a cohesiveness. They don't have to agree. And they obviously don't agree, the thoughts. But I'm telling you, there's six billion thought processors on this planet, and they are operating as one. People trying to awaken, they are the lone exceptions. If the whole world right now was Catholic and you, and there was one guy saying over here who was Protestant, that doesn't matter. He's part of it. He is not an exception. If he was the only Protestant on earth and the rest of the world was Catholic, he is not an exception. He is part of the herd. As long as he says, I'll never, now, Catholicism is wrong. They're wrong. I'm right. He's part of the herd. And, and the magic of the words to him would be the, the magic words of Protestantism. Reading Martin Luther. Or, that would be magic to him. But you understand, but to him, the magic is, this defines me as separate from the people who are incorrect. No, it doesn't. The magic of the words is, it keeps you stuck to them. It keeps you part of that reality. You don't have to agree. You don't have to be in the majority. You don't have to agree with the majority. That is where, if you see it from that view, that what we're trying to do, and I say this is useful from your own view, not just listening to me, what we're up against or what we're up to without realizing it, people I've never heard described this way, what we're looking for is magic and certain words. You keep waiting to hear the right words or the right combination of words that's going to cut you loose from the herd. Cut you loose from it. Again, we're not speaking physically. It doesn't require you to be a hermit. Not physically. It's to cut you loose to where what's going on out there. You can't always identify it at any given moment. There's not one great thought going through everybody or one great thought going through one country or one neighborhood. But there is this thinking that is shared by the planet. It's shared by life. It's shared by all consciousness. And that's what we're struggling to get free from. It's a power struggle. Which is another story. For those of you who want in advance, I was, it's on my list, I've been trying to work around to it. Another name for trying to wake up. I had two versions. Which one do you like? Vying for power, or vying for control, or a power struggle. 
I like vying for control, but you don't know what I got in mind, do you? Vying for power. Oh, sounds like a quiz show, doesn't it? Come on down. Vying for power. And it happens, and no one knows it. There's no public, observable coup d'etat. The king does not fall. Monty Python's troop is not at the gates. Are they? That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at jancox.com, where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest, or just leave us a message.